you remember last week in the All Age Service, we, um, Jan came out and read from Romans a whole list of the qualities that a fellowship should have. And I said, and how can we do that? And Jenny, Jennifer said, with the Holy Spirit's help. And I'm really pleased that Stephen is going to be preaching on the Holy Spirit this morning. <clears throat> so we can learn more about this third part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So I want to pray for Stephen now, and then Jane will come out to do the readings, followed, followed by Stephen. Father, well, we just thank you for those in this fellowship that can bring your word, to bring encouragement and knowledge and understanding, Lord, to the things that we read in your scriptures. Just pray, Father, you will really anoint Stephen this morning with the power of your Holy Spirit as he brings this, this important message, Lord, about your power, your spirit, Lord, that hovers amongst us, that, that transforms us, that transforms people, transforms churches, transforms cities. And Father, just be with him as he, <clears throat> as he leaves us this morning in, in a greater understanding of who you are. Chapter 1, starting at verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them his command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when you met, when you meet together, they asked. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. <clears throat> Thank you, Jane, for that. So, good morning, everyone. And morning. The Holy Spirit they attacked me last Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Um, just before I actually start on the Holy Spirit, um, there's something that um, I read this morning that um, really resonated with me, um, certainly with the situation we are in the world at the moment. Um, and it, it says here, the world around us is constantly changing, yet Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. That's from Hebrews 13. As Christians are pushed towards the margins of a hostile society, we cannot afford to surrender our convictions. <coughs> or to retreat in fear. By God's grace, we have the truth that this lost world needs, and now is our time to stand with unrelenting devotion to God's unchanging word. So just a reminder, 
how important God's word is to us today and how we need to meet and stay with that, uh, concentrate on his word. That's where we get all of our information and our truth from. So the Holy Spirit uh, called this the neglected third person of the Trinity because we very rarely speak of the Holy Spirit. Um, I haven't heard anyone preach on the Holy Spirit um, for some time. And we make a casual reference to it in perhaps uh, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We don't really concentrate on who he is. And I would emphasize that he is a he and not an it, as some people tend to refer. And as Carol quite rightly said, he is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. It's mentioned right at the beginning of God's word in Genesis 1, where it speaks of the Spirit of God hollowed on the face of the water. So right from the beginning of God's word, the Holy Spirit is there, part of that Trinity. I said that he is a person, this is borne out, of course, by scripture. John 16, 8 says, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Romans 8, 26 says, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. This is the Holy Spirit. He has feelings. Ephesians 4.30 says, don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. God's Spirit can be heard, can be grieved by what we do and by what we say. He also has a will. Acts 16, verses 6 to 7 says, they, speaking about Paul and Timothy, who were out preaching and evangelizing, had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And then after this, they were trying to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus not commit them. This again is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a will and he directs and he guides. And he also has a mind. The wind blows where it pleases, says scripture, and we hear its sound, but we do not know where it comes from or where it's going. And that's from John 3 8. This again is the Holy Spirit. He is God. He gives life and he convicts of sin and he intercedes for us. And the internal witness of the Holy Spirit is one of the most important experiences, I believe, that we can have in our life. Because scripture says, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And anyone who has the Holy Spirit cannot say Jesus be cursed. And so if you doubt ever that you are a Christian, if you ever doubt that you are a child of God, if you can say genuinely in your heart, Jesus is Lord. If your life reflects that worship and that praise and that love and that desire to do what God wants you to do, you are saved. You are a Christian because you can say by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is Lord. And the only people that have the Holy Spirit are those that are generated, awakened, born again, whatever terminology that you would like to use. And I don't think the terminology is important. But when Christ comes to live in you, the Holy Spirit is that deposit in your life. I do believe that the Holy Spirit has been so downplayed in evangelical circles. You rarely hear preaching or speaking on the Holy Spirit, and I'll go into some of the reasons for that a little bit later, which I'm sure many of you will know. There are two hotly contested issues, I guess, over the Holy Spirit. One is where people say, when you become a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit, and that is it. There is no more. You have the Holy Spirit. There is no second blessing or second anointing or, again, whatever the terminology is um, that you want to use. But I guess whatever the, 
beliefs that we may hold, undeniably, I would say, we all need more of the Holy Spirit. Because I don't know about you, Phil, but in my life, I need more of the Holy Spirit. I can't live my life and do my job, uh, read God's word, uh, have the privilege of speaking, unless I have the Holy Spirit with me. I need him more and more. And as I get older, I feel more and more of my reliance on the Holy Spirit because it is the Holy Spirit's work to lead us to Christ. And without the Holy Spirit, our life can be dry. Our Christian life can be so arid. The Holy Spirit has been described as water pouring down uh, in the Pentecost experience that Jane read for us. Um, uh, we, we talk about the, the tongues of fire that come and, on, on, on the disciples that were waiting um, in the upper room and the building was shaken. Now, we shouldn't be expecting uh, that kind of experience uh, nowadays. But the Holy Spirit, like a river, I guess, really describes how it can be this, this, this water, this life that can pour down into us and rejuvenate us. And I get dry, and I'm sure so many of you must. Sometimes it does seem to be a hard slog in the Christian life, and yet the Holy Spirit comes with that water into the arid places and revitalizes us. And all of a sudden it can become new and fresh and a love of Christ, of each other, of our uh, of worship. And all of these things that go together just seem to be uh, extenuated and grow uh, and just seem so much more real. Because the Holy Spirit, as well as leading us to Christ, makes him real to us. And when Christ is real, we know that he lives. And what's more, we know that we know. And that can transform our life from just some tradition and some head belief to a knowledge that moves from there down into our hearts. And we become real worshippers and lovers of Christ in a way that the world will see and notice and can be so different from what they see in so many people. Luke uses phrase in Acts 2 verse 38 and Peter is actually saying here repent each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit he tells them that they will receive power we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and we will be witnesses to the end of the earth so that speaks to me of another of the reasons for the Holy Spirit which is to be a witness to Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes so that we can speak of our faith and what we believe and tell others. And then what we say is real and can be impactive and can have great results when we are speaking to people. Luke, of course, was talking about the Pentecost experience, about that huge baptism. I think about like a man standing in a rainstorm without an umbrella that just fell on those disciples and actually transformed them, changed them. And so the first point I really want to reiterate is if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. He's there, lives within you. Second point, I guess, is, is there a subsequent experience? And I think in order to, to answer that, first of all, I want to address the fact of did the Holy Spirit come before Pentecost? Did the Holy Spirit come before the cross? And there is an argument that the Holy Spirit didn't come until Pentecost, and prior to that, there was no Holy Spirit. Well, I think scripture would say 
that that was not true. I think scripture would say, yes, the Holy Spirit came before Pentecost and before the cross. And if we just look at a couple of easy examples here, where the woman who anointed Jesus with her tears and wiped his feet with her hair, Jesus said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. When you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit. And so the fact that she was saved means that she would have had the Holy Spirit. Zacchaeus, he was the one who told Jesus, he was the tax collector, he would give half of his possessions to the poor. And if he'd exhorted anyone of money, he would actually give them back four times as much. And Jesus said, today, salvation has come to this house. So he again was saved. And the disciples received the Holy Spirit. It says in John 20, 22, that Jesus breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And so there was the Holy Spirit before Pentecost. There was the Holy Spirit uh, in, in, in Genesis, hovering on the face of the water. So the Holy Spirit isn't just something that's come into existence after Pentecost. He always was and he always will be, and he was there. And of course, you could argue that perhaps the Holy Spirit did not go into the lives of believers. But I believe that scripture says, yes, in fact, he did. And so the Holy Spirit isn't and wasn't then a new thing. I don't know if some of you can remember, and I remember it very well, um, not so much the 60s and the 70s, but coming into the early 80s when I became a Christian, there was this huge hunger and desire for the Holy Spirit. Churches were changing. Um, we had Billy Graham did his Mission England, and he came over, and thousands of people were meeting in football stadiums, and going forward for, for prayer and wanting to know more about Jesus. Many books were written about it. I think I must have written them. all of them. Books such as Nine O'Clock in the Morning, Come Holy Spirit, When the Spirit Comes, The Holy Spirit in You, Surprised by Joy, Joy Unspeakable, How to Be Filled with the Holy Spirit, The Spirit Filled Life, etc. There was this desire that was suddenly growing to throw off what was seen then as dead tradition, dry orthodoxy, where people were going to church and going through the motions there was no reality in their life when they wanted the Holy Spirit to bring that life. They wanted to throw off the shackles of a tradition that in previous times had blessed the church, but as time moved on, had become a dry orthodoxy, I believe, that had hidebound the church. It was like a straitjacket that prevented them from moving on. And so when Billy Graham did his mission in England and the other things that were starting to happen, people were coming alive. Songs were changing, and some of the very old hymns that perhaps were not um, appropriate anymore, started to fade out and all these new choruses and worship songs and what have you started to come in. I think we threw the baby out with the bathwater because I'm a lover of the old hymns and I think sometimes we go too far with some of the new hymns and some of the new songs I think do not have the theological depth and the conviction and the truth that some of the old hymns, I don't know, I've often said that when I was growing up, all of my theology came from the hymns that I sang in school. And I can't think that we could perhaps say um, the same again today. And so there was this new awakening in the church, this new excitement. And that's when I became a Christian. Uh, and all I wanted to do was go to church on a Sunday and go to the evening service and meet up for home groups and go to conferences and meet with different people. And we just wanted to speak about Christ. It was this amazing feeling of joy uh, and this new awakening is the only way I can describe it where we just wanted to meet together everything was just fresh and new and this new excitement 
I believe that we were drenched in the spirit and that's what caused us to have that joy. Because as I said, spirit gives life. He gives power and boldness and confidence. And I'm not going to launch into my testimony now. And I did touch on it um, some time ago as Carol White reminded me this morning. And I really don't have time to go into that as much as I would love to. But all I can say is that for you that don't know, I was a police officer. And um, when I had this great um, Christian experience, when I became a Christian, when I gave my life to Christ, uh, and just dramatically changed this almost Damascene experience. People at work were running and hiding and shutting themselves in the room because I just couldn't help but tell them what had happened and that God was real. Um, and so that's the kind of effect that it can have on you. And then what happened? I guess the crazies took over and what started out as an authentic exciting genuine work of god i believe we started to have these most strange arcane experiences people falling to the floor and screaming and barking at dogs and, and some particular chap called himself god's bartender and he was so laughing in the spirit which i believe was an absolute disgrace and dishonoring to god because the holy spirit is to witness to god not to actually make a scene uh, and carry on like a circus carnival, like a sideshow, like some form of entertainment. And so I totally disassociate myself from any of those kinds of so-called manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And so the backlash of all these things, I believe, is that we've withdrawn into the church and we've pulled up the drawbridge, we've shut the Holy Spirit out, not only of our own lives, but out of the lives of people outside that have yet to know Christ. And so the Holy Spirit has almost become forgotten. And I liken it, I guess, to, to Fagin and Oliver Twist, where we've got the Holy Spirit and we've almost hidden him away. And that's our treasure. And so we can gloat over him ourselves secretly. And yet he's never on display for the world and also for the power of the enlivening of our church. And the sad thing, I think, is that it's happened gradually and slowly over a period of time so that we hardly notice that he has disappeared. It's like a car, I think, when you're driving and it's happened to Jane and I a couple of times when suddenly the warning rack comes on and it tells you that you're running out of fuel and you think, I'm all right, I can keep going for a bit longer. And sometimes you can push your luck and go a bit too far. So you can turn things off. So you turn the air conditioning off because it doesn't use quite so much fuel. And you turn off the, the blower or perhaps you can turn off the radio. Just turn everything off and just try and get um, to wherever your destination is, which hopefully would be a, a fuel station so you can fill up. But inevitably, there is a point where you're going to come to a grinding halt. And it's the same, I think, in our Christian lives that the Holy Spirit if we neglect him and he's not part of our life, gradually we start to notice that he's not there. The third member of the Trinity is not absent in our life and inevitably, I do believe our Christian life will become dry. I do believe that our Christian life will not have that excitement because the Holy Spirit is meant to be experiential, <coughs> not just part of a 
um, a tradition, not just an art, but the doctrine of the church. Don't get me wrong, correct doctrine is all important. Time and time again, I speak about the relevance and the reality of God's word. God's word is the only standard that we have for our Christian life. Everything else is outside that. It is the word for me. And that's part of the doctrine and the orthodoxy of the church. And I've been distraught, I guess, really, to see the church where I was converted and brought up, which is the Church of England. So many areas is actually losing its doctrine. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous Welsh preacher, love to hear that man. You can still hear some of his sermons. I love to read his books. So impassioned and filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said this, he said, correct doctrine can leave the church dead. You can have a church that is perfectly orthodox, orthodox, excuse me, but perfectly useless. It's possible for a Christian to be perfectly orthodox and yet to be defeated and to be living a defeated and useless life. Because without the Holy Spirit, we're actually just running on the fumes of the fuel that is starting to evaporate in our lives. And we need constant filling. When we're told, be filled with the Holy Spirit, in the original language, it says, go on being filled, keep being filled. Not just the once, keep on and on. It's like saying, okay, we'll fill our car with petrol up and that's it when we buy it. Keep filling it up if you want to keep going, if you want to keep moving. Because the Holy Spirit is given to glorify Christ, to lead us to him. In the midst of all that madness, I do believe that we have retreated to what we call high ground. We've shut him out, pulled up the drawbridge, hidden him safely away. We are all of it. When I look at the New Testament church, I'm really struck by the experiential uh, movement of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just something that they were told about. It was something they experienced and something that was in their lives, something amazing that gave them that power. When you think about how so many uh, of the believers suffered in the New Testament, they, they were executed. We talk about Roman candles where believers were actually burnt um, in Caesar's garden as uh, entertainment, thrown to the lions, and yet they refused to recant. They just sang songs of worship for those they've been led to their death. And I believe the only way that we can ever be anywhere near that is to have the Holy Spirit in our lives that makes Christ and God and the hereafter so real to us that the things of this life and this world mean nothing. And without him, I don't believe that we can do that. There's such a vast gulf between the experience of the Holy Spirit, so much contemporary church life today. We come to church on Sunday and do a few religious things, and then we go home. And we pack everything away for the rest of the week and then we come back the next Sunday. But this should be part of our lives and it should be our lives. Monday through to Sunday, week after week, month after month, Christ should be at the center of our hearts and our minds and our thinking just to revitalize. How do we ever evangelize the world if we shut everything away and they see nothing? Many years ago, I dabbled in what was called Rosicrucianism, which was very weird um, notion of a God based on um, ancient Egypt. And the reason that I started to dabble over into this dreadful, dreadful, evil thing, I think now, is because there was a reality there. Things were happening. When I was going to church, 
we sang a hymn, we sat down, we said a prayer, and then we sat down again, and then someone came and spoke, and um, it sort of went over my head a bit, and then we sang another, and that was it. In this Rosicrucianism, the teaching was that there is a spirit that connects everybody, and it's very pantheistic, it's multi-religion, that all religions are the same, all religions lead to God. Let me just say, for the abundance of doubt, there is only one way to Christ, there is only one way to God. Christ is the way to God, and there is no other way. We are either in the spirit, or we are dead in the flesh. The only way is Christ. And I didn't know that at the time, so I was looking at these experiences, and one of the things that he says was, you can tap into this great spiritual power. And so I can remember that uh, we had a couple of vehicles that had been stolen in the area that I was working in. I thought, right, I will try this out. So I sort of thought, right, let's tap into this power. Where is this stolen car? This will be like a test for me. And so I go driving in my police vehicle, and I went down these different roads, and that was really thinking, I'm being an automatic pilot. And I stopped, and I looked up, there in front of me, one of the stolen vehicles and I was quite nervous at that that was quite a mind-shaking experience and I thought well okay this could be a coincidence and there'd been another vehicle that had been stolen two days before I thought let's try this again and exactly the same thing happened and I just drove and I drove and I stopped there was this vehicle this stolen vehicle with no thought of mine it was like going on autopilot and that did in fact scare me and so because there was this reality and these things were happening, this is what draws people to other religions. And I think without the Holy Spirit, our Christian life can seem so dull and can seem so tame to people. And yet the Christian life, for me, is the most exciting life that you can live. There is nothing that can match it. And so we need the Holy Spirit. We need him to enliven him so that our life overflows that water that I said, the Holy Spirit, that comes down and fills us and transforms us and changes us and energizes us. A great preacher that I love to listen to read, John Piper, he said this, when we come to church and when we read the scriptures, this is where we dig for gold in the scriptures rather than just rake the leaves. So we need to go deep, and I said this some Sundays ago, go deep into scripture to take it in, because unless we have that scripture, unless we know God's word, then we can't speak it out. And that, too, is the work of the Holy Spirit. You need to be constantly refreshed and renewed. We can't live on old glories and old past experiences. We constantly need that new awakening. And this Holy Spirit isn't some strange, off-the-wall, charismatic teaching. I do not consider myself to be a charismatic um, in any shape or form. The Holy Spirit should be part of the everyday life of the church. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit falls, the river flows out from us. And the point of receiving is so that we can give. And if we have nothing to give, what does that say for a lost world? So, I would ask you this morning, I would ask myself, how is your river? Are you feeling full? Are you feeling that joy in Christ? Are you feeling that, that urge to actually tell others and say, this is what Christ has done for me. This is what my life, this is how I was. 
this is how I am now. And we don't become perfect. In my own life, I say it so often, I'm not what I want to be. And I certainly aren't what God wants me to be. But by the grace of God, I'm not what I was. And he has changed me. <coughs> so we desperately need, I believe, to experience that Holy Spirit, not to be afraid. This is God we're talking about. This is the third member of the Trinity who <laughs> commands us, Paul says in Ephesians 5.18. Don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. It's a command. And I would say to us this morning, seek that. Civil Heading and Baptist Church. Anyone that may listen to this, if it's recorded or whatever in the future, seek the Holy Spirit, third member of the Trinity who existed before all ages. God Himself. Romans 8, one of my favorite chapters in Scripture here. On the face of it, might not straight away be linked with the Holy Spirit. But he says this there is now, therefore, no condemnation in those who are in Christ, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has freed us from the law of sin and death. I love that expression the law of the Spirit of life is in Christ. That's the Holy Spirit, the spirit of life, and it's freed us from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, because it was weak in the flesh, God did. And so he sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as a sin offering. And he then condemned sin in the flesh, says Romans 8, so that the righteous Law could be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but who walk according to the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. And I just find that amazing that if we walk according to the Spirit, Christ, who is the law of the righteousness and also the truth and the light, and as Romans said, it is this law of life that is in him, through us, in us. It is actually the resolution and also covering the law that the law itself without the spirit, without Christ, would never do. So we must walk in the path of the spirit and not in the path of the flesh. And so I would say, be filled, experience the river flowing in so that it may flow out from you. And if your experience is anything like mine, I promise you that your life will never be the same. God bless you. Jesus himself was baptized, and the scripture says a dove came down. It's usually represented like mm. that. I just thought that was the Holy Spirit. Mm. Is that correct? Mm. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Now, there's so many passages the Holy Spirit is mentioned so many times, right from Genesis, right through Revelation. I could go on and on and on. I said to Stephen before, um, when we were praying before, um, if people want to ask questions, you know, he's around. So, that's uh, at the end of the service, if anything else pops up in your mind that you want clarification on. Um, speak to Stephen or me or any, you know, people that um, have experience to say. So thank you very much, Stephen. So we're going to um, finish now with a final song.